I'm ready to talk about our superlatives now, if you are. Oh, of course. I want to give them the rewards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first thing we want to talk about is our MVP characters, our top two or three characters. Who do we right. really want to shout out as being the the characters that made our day when they showed up on screen? How about the maker of the simulation itself? Maura, come on down, Maura Franklin. <laughs> I mean, she's definitely my favorite. I mean, that's I mean, if you're going to ask me later who I want to hang out with, I might say Maura because I mean, I just. She's the creator of it all. She's the protagonist. Maybe she's the antagonist. Um, I think it goes without saying she's a lead character. Do you disagree with that? She's the lead character of the show. And well, she's, <laughs> <laughs> she's real. She's a very interesting person, but I don't trust her. I don't trust her. And I, I you know, um, mm -hmm. so she's she's definitely somebody who was interesting and you got more. She got more interesting and complex as as you as you went along. But I don't know if she sometimes when you have the main character, they don't end up becoming your favorite because yeah. you're almost in their perspective. So you almost are that character. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So who but would you're you also say a guy. You're What's also a guy. Uh, you know, you're a guy. And so it's like, you know, you like Virginia. You like Mara. Anthony uh -huh. would do the same thing. You know, I'd be like talking about Ike and he'd be like, well, I really like Mara. And I'm like. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess who's like number uh, everybody else is is men in my group. I, no, actually, there's two women in my group. I have a I've wrote a bunch. I've wrote down six characters as my MVPs. My top two is actually six. But I Maura, knew I couldn't control you, Steve. You got yeah, like six characters written down. But Mora came out on top. I definitely ranked her number one, and I have a character ranked at number two that I have a strong feeling is your number one. So tell me who is your number one or who you think is top well it's tough but i i feel like my number one character is gonna have to be jerome yes that's what i thought you were gonna say i love jerome too i mean if we we didn't already love jan gall we we uh we got to fall in love with him even more because he was responding to us on instagram and we're like <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh he's answering us like i said that was a moment in time i'll never forget i mean he was awesome <laughs> um but his character is definitely the one that he just whenever he came on screen he just stole your attention away he uh everybody loves i would say everybody loves an underdog and he's while he's not he's not necessarily a definite underdog you know he's he goes through a lot of mistreatment during yeah. this show i would say especially he was an underdog. from franz yeah. our sauce boss as you yeah. like to call him i do guys if you haven't watched sweet travel time they have a nickname for almost everybody on the show so not for mara there was no more nickname but um... or jerome jerome was straight up jerome <laughs> that's true that's true he was always a class act like when he mm -hmm. faced adversity um, and when there was a quick decision to be made, he always made the the honorable right decision. I mean, he was such a good character that our boy Nate was suspicious 
if Nate was here right now, he would tell you he's suspicious of Jerome and Olick because those two guys are too good and they're too honorable and they're, he just doesn't trust how good and honorable they are. Even back in the day before they were on the boat, when he was hanging with his buddy um, Lucian and they were starving to death and everything, he still wanted to do the right thing, even if it you know, cost him starving. So mm-hmm. he was a tough one to not put at my top, but because I, I thought about it. Um, yeah. But, well, Bo and Yantia do really like to set up those ambiguous characters. So usually everybody who seems perfect, you do find out at least one thing that's a flaw. And then if right. they seem like irredeemable, they're going to show you something that is good about that person. And um, so I'm fairly confident maybe we would have found out something from Jerome's past and Oleg's past that maybe wasn't so great. And that's not that's not always true. I think there was one character in Dark that did remain spotless <laughs> the whole time. But for the most part, they like they like to be in the gray. Yeah. And but Jerome was always, like you said, he always had a lot of empathy, even at the end when Lucian is not doing well he can't help himself but be concerned about his friend yeah and to be there for him even after a terrible betrayal um but also he was a great fighter (laughs) and he didn't you know he could have uh really tried to spark on clements and he didn't you know (laughs) he he was he was an honorable man yeah and um yeah, he was definitely an interesting character coming, you know, his entrance is one of the most interesting of all coming from the shadows and just we aren't really sure where where he came from and why his entrance is different than everybody else's. Yeah. Um, we would have found that out and eventually we would have found out he was a boxer because that's what the promotional material said is that he was a, a French boxer. So that's mm-hmm. why he could fight so well, I guess, being in the military and then also having that, that fighting training. So he knew how to handle six big, tough dudes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, he did. And I feel like there was even, I've even seen scenes that didn't, you know, they didn't take place, but I feel like I've seen photo stills of Jerome in a boxing ring that never came to be. So there might've mm-hmm. been things that they even filmed that we never got to see. Um, but yeah, he was probably my favorite character. So did you have other top ones you wanted to shout out, Steve? Yeah, well, I guess, well, I said, I've already said my favorite one too. So mm-hmm. I think it's your turn actually to bring another character into the fold, unless your second character is Mora, which I have a feeling it's not. So do you yeah. have a, a number two or a it's number not. three? You I can think bring in here? another character I want to shout out would be Olek you know, Jerome's buddy. Yeah. Oleg probably has one of my favorite moments in the show of anybody. And it's when Franz starts the rebellion down in the cafeteria. <laughs> okay. The third yes. class. And, uh, you know, Jerome just, uh, sorry, Oleg just kind of gets up and tries to be as still as possible <laughs> and dip out the door without anybody noticing him. And of course he doesn't make it, but that scene always cracks me up. It's just his face <laughs> is so funny. Um, but I, you know, he's another person that 
in a very tense situation, remained calm and cool and really didn't let anything fluster him. I don't think I ever... The only time he lost his temper is when he was trying to get Ike to... You know, Ike had asked him to do this mission to find out how much coal, and he had done that. And I think he hoped maybe that would put him in Ike's confidence and he would talk to him, but Ike was not. And so he swears out in the hallway and punches the wall but yeah does one of those tough guy moves yep but yeah that was it um it, and it's normal to be frustrated by something like that um so yeah i think i think nate was most suspicious of olick um something coming out especially you know we got that black oil all over him so we don't know if you know that's representative of something and that bloody trail leading to that oil dump i mean it looked like it was a a crime scene and <laughs> i think olick was in on the crime i hate to say it <laughs> but well in all fairness everybody's pretty dirty the whole show even <laughs> even the people like you know mara who's yeah. first class i mean she was sweating practically the whole show she was yeah. a redhead and, and light colored so just like me you know even when i get hot it takes a lot to make me sweat but she was sweating pretty much the whole show and i don't, i had no idea why they decided to make her like that unless that was supposed to be part of her madness you know quote unquote so you're always sweaty but <laughs> Or nervous. It's like a, a thing about anxiety and being nervous and sweating. I'm a sweater. When I get nervous, I absolutely sweat. Uh, it's what happens. Um, my last ones, I'm not going to go into great detail, but my other ones I picked out besides what we said there is, of course, Ike. How can you leave Mr. Ike out? Uh, Virginia. It's no secret. I'm in love with Virginia. And Clements. I put Clements in there, too, because I guess I should explain because Clements seemed like she was on the side of good, ready to do the right thing, whether it was with Lucian or with Jerome or whatever. Um, it seemed like she would be a good partner to have around. She always has your back. Um, she had that little suspicious look on her face that first episode. We don't know what was up with that. But after, beyond that moment, every other time you see her, she seems like sincere and, I don't know, wanting to connect. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Lemons. I like her for it. Yeah, I mean, in general, I agree with you. I did, however, on my rewatch, and I didn't say this, but I did notice that she really did wasn't doing a darn thing during that sex. They're they're like, you know, their awkward sex scene, her and Lucian. (laughs) Um, She was just laying there with her arms like this. And it's like, that really was sus, you know, that, that I was like, who does that? Nobody (laughs) does that unless that was, unless that was part of, I was trying to think of, okay, what excuse could there be? I know maybe back in those times in society, maybe it was thought of as being inappropriate if you were female and enjoyed sex. So maybe that was like what you were supposed to do as a female is just right. let the guy do everything. Maybe that was the feminine way. Or So she society. thought she was doing the right thing. And Lucian was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to give her a pass on that? But it, No, it really I don't was... want to give her a pass on that. You're absolutely right. I, I took it more as that, I knew I knew that the show was going to have different seasons. So again, I'm just delving into territory. I don't know. I think we would have seen in Clements's past that maybe she might've been traumatized and didn't enjoy sex. Um, Mm. Maybe didn't enjoy sex with men. I don't know. Maybe that's what the pants suggested, but I think maybe she just didn't enjoy sex at all. Um, And so 
you know, <laughs> that's, I mean, and it frustrated Lucian, of course, they couldn't talk about it for whatever reason, because it's 1899. Yeah. But um, I'm not giving her a pass, but yeah. sometimes there could be traumatic reasons for that. That's true. I also wondered if she knew Jerome before. This is another thing I didn't say before, but she, um, when they meet on the, her and Jerome meet on the deck, and she introduces herself. You get the feeling because of several things that happened that perhaps Jerome does remember more than the rest of people. And he mm -hmm. says, um, you're right. I did make up my mind about you as soon as I saw you. But when did he first see her? It Good could question. have been in the past. Yeah. And if he and Lucian were war buddies, Sure, they could have been in the field, but it's also possible that they were friends before the they were on the battlefield, and maybe Lucian was in love with, sorry, Jerome was in love with Clemens already, or maybe he just loved her from a distance, or, yeah, you know, all kinds of things could have been. Yeah, I'm thinking immediately, like, it was actually Jerome and Clements that were together, and then, um, you know, Jerome. Lucian shows up he's now a general and Jerome's gone that nobody knows where he is mm -hmm. he's like hey you're my new girlfriend Clements and right. then he isn't that what happens forget. in the Count of Monte Cristo um the guy you know the Mon Good Count call. of Monte Cristo gets lock yeah. locked up and his buddy goes to comfort the you know the fiance yep and maybe like uh you know she got one of those shots of the of the what the white juice and like she forgot about all that right. and that's why she's there to remember all that stuff i don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> the white juice it took me a minute <laughs> to understand what you were talking about okay sorry <laughs> that good old just... <laughs> 1899 drug the white juice yep the forgetful stuff <laughs> i'm not i don't even know if i got that right if it's the black that makes you forget and the white that makes you remember or vice versa um, it's in my notes here somewhere, but I'm not going to. The start white flipping. makes you remember; the black makes you forget. Okay, there you go. So yeah, I'm fairly sure. <laughs> Tell us if I'm wrong, and put it in the comments if I'm wrong, everybody. I mean, this is like real time speculation. I just <laughs> we're just thinking about this on the spot here, so this is great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about our MVP characters. Yeah. What about? side characters that you want to call out on this show i want you to take a wild guess who my favorite <laughs> side character is out of everybody the garlic dude Heck landon. yes landon <laughs> that's exactly right and um i even wrote down here michael landon because you know i do think that that's what that whole thing was about his name is landon he's talking about the wolves michael landon wrote you know call of the wild about the wolves I think that's a, a literary call out. I think Tobey's name is a literary call out to Jabberwocky. Um, but yeah, Landon's my favorite guy. My favorite side character. He was hilarious. <laughs> I hate to poo poo on your theory, but the author, that author is Jack London. But okay. <laughs> Michael Landon played that character um, <laughs> in The Call of the Wild. Oh, okay. And he played, that's it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Michael Landon played the character teenage werewolf i got this all wrong <laughs> michael landon was absolutely the teenage werewolf there you go 
A teenage it's, werewolf? Yeah, that sixties movie. I was a teenage werewolf. Okay, you're not. You're not thinking of Teen Wolf because that's Michael no, J. Fox. That's okay. Michael J. Fox. That's okay, correct. Great. Michael okay. Landon was absolutely this the teenage is great werewolf. Podcasting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we know our stuff like the back of our hands. But at least we can correct each other. I said something absolutely wrong. You corrected me. Thank you for that. <laughs> Seriously. Regardless of if he referred <laughs> literary reference or not, Garlic Man is is definitely a notable character. I know you liked the humor on that one. Are we considering Ada a side character? Yeah, definitely. Uh, because I think I definitely want to call out Ada. I Yep. I missed her as soon as she as soon as she left the show. Um, I mean, her corpse was her corpse or her body, her her vessel was still there um, for for uh, episode three, I think it was. But um, but yeah, she was sort of a glue, I would say, between Crestor and Tove. And it, as long as she was around, there was Tove had that hope that. Crestor would make good in his promise that he was going to mm -hmm. run away with her and they would start their new life together. But, uh, you know, also Ada would, she was able to communicate for her family when they couldn't. And she was the only one that wasn't possibly traumatized by, you know, any, That's right. in any family, if something, a trauma happens in the family, it happens to the whole family. We know that from our, our psychology lessons now, that even um, when there's abuse or trauma going on, it affects every member. And so Ada obviously would have had effects from that, but she was the only one that wasn't there and yep. sort of had an innocence about her that the rest of their family, because they don't talk about anything. So obviously they never told Ada what happened. Well, when you asked who my favorite side character was before, I wrote down Landon and then I wrote down Ada. Um, that was my other favorite side character. So I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. I also wrote on here, I was going to tell Nate that Ada is not creepy at all. She's a wonderful young lady. And I think that she represents young Mora. I think that she's almost like a show stand in for like a young, smart girl who is interested in, you know, things that she can't even hardly comprehend at her age, but she's still like wrestling with, you know, big ideas. So Nate, Ada is a wonderful side character and she's not <laughs> creepy. <laughs> Even though you, you're not here, Nate, we're still arguing with you. <laughs> oh, we'll send him a copy of this for sure. <laughs> we'll force him to watch it. Like the watcher. <laughs> I'm also, <laughs> I also feel a moral obligation to call out Wilhelm just because, you know, he got called Neville Longbottom the whole show. And sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but also <laughs> he was a loyal shipmate and you know kept working and he had no clue what was going on yeah and his friend quote-unquote sebastian or kieran just <laughs> decided for really no reason to put him out of commission yeah he was definitely his own man because franz's best friend was eugene i think Right. And then Sebastian was kind of his own person. Ike was kind of off on himself. So yeah, Wilhelm didn't have really anybody. And he seemed like he was, he was really anxious and worried about this whole thing. And 
She's like a responsible young man. He feels very, you can tell when they're beating up on Olick in the bridge. He's feeling very uncomfortable about the whole thing. Yeah, as he should. That's great. And he was starting to question, uh, he was starting to question Sebastian at the end, which is, I guess, why Sebastian took action. But he was like, I think the captain Mm. was right. And, you know, he realized too late that he was on the wrong side of history with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, maybe that empty pod is actually Wilhelm. Nobody has guessed that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, the empty pod, what what would crack me up about that is that um, I don't know if you saw, but I put it on the Facebook group and I had said, who do you think the empty pod is? And someone said, well, I thought that was just the pod that Mora came out of. <laughs> oh, right. Like, oh, dang. Okay. Well, maybe it's that simple. But then I saw that somebody said there was actually another empty pod. So there was still an empty pod. Oh, my gosh. Me and there's a person that um that we follow each other on Instagram. Uh, their name is uh, Person I Feel Lost. That's like their Instagram handle. But mm-hmm. we dissected that scene together so hard. And like we had like a diagram of it and you could. There's an empty pod next to the window and there's an empty pod over there next to Ike. And then, you know, so we like knew the whole like room and we identified all the people. It was kind of fun. It was a cool thing. Yeah. Um, So what did you guys come up with? I know a little bit of a tangent here, but did you decide who was in the empty pod? Oh, no, we disagreed about it. Just like everybody disagrees about it. (laughs) 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 But I'm saying now it's Wilhelm. It's got to be him. (laughs) It's got to (laughs) be Great um other side characters i didn't write anybody else down um mm-hmm. aside i mean i mean i mean i know they existed i guess we would call franz a side character um i think he might be a good person that might be in that empty pod he's a good contender because he he was in every episode and he played a significant role um yeah i don't think i don't think of him as a side character i don't either I guess, but, yeah um if we don't he... have a lot of characters to deal with. There's supposed to be like <laughs> 2,000 of them. But I mean, we're only dealing with like 24 people. Yeah, here. you're right. I mean, we've probably done, uh, we probably mentioned everybody. I mean, like, we don't really need to talk about Redbeard. It's fine. You know, like, I don't, I don't remember what that guy's name was. I did know his name for a while. But Yeah, I remember I was impressed by that. Because <laughs> hey, I didn't bother IMD- to learn it. It's on IMDb. <laughs> okay. I just know that like he, he manhandled Virginia. So he's dead to me, man. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Okay. The characters that we despised or the characters that we love to hate, whatever we decided to call this section. Well, you were right about this. I didn't want to like say like despise because it's like, you know, it's like your least favorite character on like your favorite show. So you kind of like everybody. So like, Mm -hmm. even if we say like who we hate the most, it doesn't mean that we hate that character. Mm-hmm. It just means they yeah, have to come on the bottom of the list. They didn't do bad acting. We're yeah. not saying that they the writing wasn't good, but they. I think when you watch the show, when you care, that obviously there are characters that really grate on your nerves, and you think, "Why are you still existing? And why are you still <laughs> acting this way?" So I, you know, I think we're still going to talk about it. But what? Yeah. Did, who did you write down, Steve? I wrote down three names. Um, no surprise in the first one, Crester. Um, just, just like going back and seeing all his interactions with Tove. First watch through, you think Tove sucks and Crester's this like sympathetic guy. And then like it all gets turned around episode six. Um, he was the 
first guy to jump over. He had a bad nervous energy. He was just a, uh, you know, he was, he was written that way. Uh, he was my least favorite of all of them. Mm-hmm. How about you? I guess I, yeah, I, I can't despise him. I feel sorry for him. He's a character I definitely feel sorry for. Uh, I do think he's a coward and, um, you know, he's he's the type that if you try to talk to them about a way they've wronged you, he just goes in defensive mode and mm-hmm. goes on attack. And that's yeah. definitely not an attractive quality. Right. Um, but I can't necessarily despise him or, or think he's the worst. I still don't know exactly why you think he's the worst, but... Um, my most <laughs> my most despised character would be Lucian just because he's whiny and he's a character I don't feel sorry for because he's always playing that victim mentality and thinking his life is worse than everybody else's. Right. And um, even when people are trying to communicate with him, he just can't do it. He can only see that his own point of view. That's valid. Um, I didn't write down Lucian as one of my bottom characters, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, I, I thought about him. I thought about putting <laughs> him down there. He he's a close contender. Um, I still don't understand why you don't see why I don't like Crestor because I think I've I've spelled it out many times. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know what else I can say, but I'll go on to my next character, which mm-hmm. is a it's an easy gimme. Everybody, nobody likes Ivan. So I'm going to put Ivan down there too, like from like her, her judgmental stances to like her freaking out to like her making anchor pray in the water and die right there in the hallway, like in just a random hallway. I think she deserves to be at the bottom. And I think that's maybe why I adored her so much, like laying down there in her robe in the making of 1899, just because like she charmed me. I loved that moment and it made me feel differently about her. Because uh, up until then, I hadn't seen her as a person. I've only seen her as Iden. And at that moment, I, I humanized her. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Iben's, Iben's an interesting character. I think what helped her for me to not be as despicable as all that, although I definitely dislike her, and I was you know, or maybe you know that I was waiting for the moment that she would see the boy and have to be like, you lost, <laughs> you lost Ivan. And I was so bummed that she decided to kill herself instead. <laughs> you know, she didn't, she didn't live to see what I wanted her to see. Justice. <laughs> um, But I guess for me, the way they wrote her character was you you understood her perspective and how she saw the world. And she lived that out with integrity for that warped belief system. (laughs) She had a compass as sick and twisted as it was. She had her belief in God and how she wanted to live her life. And she did that until the very end. And so for me, that made her, very formidable and scary as a person but it didn't yeah it didn't make me dislike her i didn't really dislike anybody honestly except for lucian (laughs) (laughs) okay he's your big one huh i'm i'm just he he like 
I kept waiting for maybe they would do one thing. Uh, because, like like I said, Bo and Yantia, they love to live in that gray area. And even the most despicable character, you end up seeing something redeemable about or, or figure it out. Maybe it would have come later, but all he did was whine about his <laughs> life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know if I have anybody else, but go ahead with your with your third person. Maybe it'll spark something in me. Uh, hot take. No one's going to like this. Um, I wasn't really super impressed with Ling. She's down there by default. Um, not because I disliked her a whole lot, but you know, when you have like a ranking of characters, somebody's got to fall into the bottom three. Lucian's lurking there around bottom four, bottom five, but Ling made it down to bottom three. Um, just cause I didn't really feel that connected to her. Um, I felt like she just made a lot of goofy mistakes. Um, she was kind of in the way a lot. She was like a, like when I say in the way, like she was like helping, whoops, hello, helping Oleg with that coal shoot unnecessarily helping Oleg steer the ship unnecessarily. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like is your uh, is this your character your olix like partner i didn't really see much that like really like you know and really endeared me to her mm -hmm. so by default she falls on the wayside i like lucian more because i connected with it i didn't connect with this character but you know he was more of a fun character to watch and watch his sniveling face and watch how <laughs> crappy he got and watch the crappy stuff that came out of his mouth that was kind of fun i like that well we at least got a really great meme out of it if nothing else um what's that are like the meme about you you know the what was it smudge our smudge meme you don't care if I live or die. <laughs> that's right. With the earrings and the with cat. With the cat with the triangle earrings. That's right. Yes. I didn't know Smudge. I guess that's the name of the cat. That's the name of the cat. Yes. I don't, I don't. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I'm sorry. I don't remember <laughs> that. But that was fantastic. If nothing else, we got we got a fun a fun meme out of it. Like Every day. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have liked Ramiro as well, but then he sort of came into his own. And when pushed, you know, once he was away from Angel, he sort of was able to mm -hmm. forge his own path. And, um, you know, before he was kind of like the guy who's jealous for Angel's affections. Yeah. I never like it when a person's arc is just about their romance. <laughs> um, and maybe that's how you feel about Ling. Um, that that's all they really gave her to do is just follow Oleg around. Uh, hopefully they would have made her more interesting, you know, in the next, in the next couple seasons. But yeah, she also wasn't really allowed to express herself much Yeah, with her character being dressed up in, in geisha attire and she wasn't allowed to talk. And so, yeah, yeah she was design. another kind of mopey. A mopey character. Now she wasn't as mopey as her mom yet, but th that was where <laughs> she was. What she was heading to towards is this: the bell tolls sort of future, where you're just like, we should never have come. Um, yeah, she had like that. Yuck had that negative mom energy, where she's just like, 
you can't come back from this. You'll be like old chewing gum. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you sleep with this man, you become just like garbage. Um, yeah. Let me redo my list here. I forgot about Yuck. She's more of a side character. She was in the spaceship, though. She was in the spaceship Kerberos. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I yeah. don't know. Anyway, I, I've forgotten about Yuck, actually, as a main character. So I probably might have put her down there, too, instead of Ling. But mm. yeah, I didn't feel I and mean, nobody should feel obligated to like I have to come up with three characters in a show I like that I don't that I want to say that are least. But, <laughs> you know, you put you gave yourself that challenge and I can admire that. Yeah, Steve, you're like you're like um, <laughs> Ivan, you know, you're going to follow it through. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the light that God has led us here. So we have to go through with this and say who we hate. <laughs> well, yeah, now we're moving into more positive territory though, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. better yes. things. And we're going to talk about the character that we feel like we're most like. I'll go first this time. Cause I do know this Please. one, the character I feel that I most like would be Mara. Because, you know, she is that female living in a man's world, trying to make her way. She has been given the opportunity to study, but not to practice medicine. And um, she refuses to be sidelined and to follow, follow the expected path a woman should take. I don't feel like I necessarily chose that. Maybe I did more than more than I think that I did. You know, obviously here I am still 46, not married, no kids. Even though our world has changed, that's still pretty unusual. And um, that's not necessarily what I chose for myself. But here I am and I often feel sidelined in, in this world when I, um, you know, if you're with a bunch of, women at a baby shower for instance and everybody acts like everybody's had babies before or sure, yeah. you you know you'll go to a thing we had a we had a health insurance or no it wasn't health insurance it was um it was a session on preparing for the end of your life and how to do that well so how to make a will a living will and all these documents you want to get ready and the guy giving the prison presentation kept saying over and over again that you need a a second person this will probably be your spouse or this will be your spouse and i finally put in the chat not everybody's married <laughs> um, yeah. so can Legit. you use some different examples or at least not talk about that as if every single person in this room has a spouse because that's not the case and um you just often feel that you're not like everybody else. And I think that that's definitely how Mara feels. And um, so I've related her to her 100%. She's reading books and not wearing her corset and not um, <laughs> she's wearing pants. And she wore pants before Clemens saw the light. Um, so, yeah. That's great. I I admire that. I admire all of that. Um, geez. Ugh. I, I know that I wanted to say Mora too, in a way, but I couldn't. So I see myself more as your key, your Ike, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I don't have as deep of a response as you did, but I look at Ike and 
he's a man that self-medicates, you know, he, and something I'm well familiar with. Um, he spends, a, he's confused in this show a lot and he's trying to figure things out and he, he wears his anxiety and his confusion on his face and you can see it and you can see it in his demeanor. And I see that in myself too. Like I, I, when I take things seriously and when I'm, you know, really feeling passionate or anxious or upset or depressed, you know, it's, it's, it's blatant and it takes over all of my emotions and I can see that in Ike as well. You know, he's definitely like not a happy go lucky dude. That's going to be like hanging out with the boys. He's, he's going to be brooding. I'm a brooder too, you know, maybe a surprise because I like to be upbeat on my podcast and stay positive. But yeah, Ike also seems like he was a pretty good dad when he was at home. He had a good relationship with his daughter. Um, didn't have a great relationship with his wife. His wife had her own problems too that he wasn't necessarily helping with. And, you know, I'm part of a family. I'm part of relationships and we all have problems and we all like to think that, you know, we're as helpful as we can be to like our spouses and others, but you know, there's failures and that happened with Ike. It happens with me. I mean, I, I see Ike in myself. I think these two main characters were really well-written. I think it says something that you, a female chose Mara as your, your main and I chose Ike as my main because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to like relate with the main characters. Mm -hmm. So Bo and Jante, you did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, before we move on to the next question, I wanted to ask, I did want to ask you a follow-up question about Ike's arc. Maybe this would be a good time to put that in, mm -hmm. in, in the show. Obviously he has this special relationship with Nina. Right. His daughter Nina. Now Nina. he Nina. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in this fire. Um, and the answer is probably gonna be that you don't know and we'll never know, but the um <laughs> but well, I'll ask you the question before I assume that. Okay. Um in the fire, he loses his wife and two other daughters, yes. but he ends up it's almost like Nina is the most important. He, you know, she's the one he sees. She's the one he calls by name. She's the one he cries out for during when he sees this burning has happened. So yeah. why do you think Nina is the most significant or important in that in his life and in his situation? I guess he saw himself in Nina more than anybody else in his family. Um, I mean, obviously he tried, he had a relationship with his wife. He had three children. They had a marriage and a house, but it was obvious. He wasn't always there for his wife. His other two daughters were younger. Uh, Nina was the one that was taking care of them. So probably when he came home, it was Nina who filled him in on stuff that was happening around the house. And she was like, not attached to him, like in any kind of like romantic way. So she was easier to talk to. Um, I think mm -hmm. it makes total sense to have that bond, like with your oldest child. Okay. I didn't get to see now. I didn't see clearly if that she was the oldest child. I thought maybe the other, there was one daughter that was older than her, but. I could be wrong. Okay. It, it, but I think your point is, is well made. Maybe she's the one he could talk to for some reason. And it's possible that the wife, was somewhat mentally unstable. I mean, 
<laughs> right, right. Probably not possible since she she set herself on fire and the rest of the household. Um, yes. But that also makes sense why then Ike and Mara have a connection, a st- pretty strong connection, because they sort of have maybe similar family structures they're from. And so, uh, you know, maybe Mara even reminds him of Nina a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. Perhaps his daughter was was the type that asked questions and didn't um, didn't just go with the flow. So, yeah. I okay. wonder if um, Daniel and Elliot died in a house fire too. Wouldn't that be something? I'm kidding. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, they the, hos- the, the hospital did crash. look pretty beat up. Yeah, that's right. Um, I actually wondered when I saw that, when I saw the hospital, I was like, you know, this reminds me a lot of the school in dark at the end, you know, in the, um, in the future yeah, world call. when it gets, it's all radiated and, and Jonas goes back to the school to find more gas and more fuel to, to light. Oh, hey, no spoilers. Energy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just forget you ever heard you heard anything I just said, everybody. But um, <laughs> but yeah, they might be reusing some of the sets from that show. <laughs> okay, so our next section is characters that you want to hang out with. Okay, um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You go first. I think that's a different page. Um, okay, this is going to be like based on. Like everyday Steve, just like, you know, boring Steve. Um, I, th- I think my top two would be Olick and Clements because they just seemed like agreeable, um, easy to talk to, easy to be around, um, kind of go along with, you know, what you want to do. And they'll be there to pr- protect you, hang out with you. I think they would both be good friends, Olick hmm. and Clements. When it comes to like hanging out, like party time, like we're going out, we're going to go to a show. Um, we're going to get crazy. It's my boy, Angel. I'm going out with Angel, man. He's going to, he's rich. Say Landon. <laughs> no, I mean, Landon's fun. I'd watch TV with Landon. That'd be my job with Landon. We watch TV, but Angel would be my going out pal for sure. He'd get me in the front row of the concert. He'd get us backstage, VIPs. Come on, Angel. That's true. Who are your buddies? Well, I would. (laughs) You're gonna. You're gonna think this is nuts, but um, I would want to hang out with Franz. I think. Um, Okay, that's solid. Sauce Boss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm friends with Sauce Boss, so I totally see that. (laughs) But what's your reason? I like complicated people. I like, uh, you know, I like people that are gonna argue with me and have a good, lively (laughs) discussion. And I feel like Franz really fits the bill on that. I mean. Also, I like bearded, bigger men. So, I mean, <laughs> I think he's a nice looking man also. And he hasn't had a lot of love in his life. And so, True. M- you know, maybe I could help him out with that. But Franz would be a cool person to hang out with um, just because, yeah, he just has the energy that when he he works hard and he plays hard. <laughs> And you know what? When Ike was all like, we can't let the family know about this death. Franz was all like, what? What? Yeah. You got to tell them. And he went and told them. Good on you, Franz. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, looking back on this series. Yeah. Franz is a stand up dude. Mutiny. Eh. 
but he was kind of, you know, <laughs> I can't blame the guy. He was, he, well, he had a little, there was a vie for control. I think he got really, uh, I mean, I don't like right. the fact that he <laughs> wanted to beat up, you know, instantly felt that animosity towards Jerome. Oh yeah. You're yeah. He started beating up your boy. I mean, yeah. ooh, how'd you feel about that? I mean, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Franz needed needed a woman's touch to help, you know, like it wasn't he started, when he started hanging out with Tovey, he's he was he's became more redeemable as yeah. as he's one of the people that evolved as, as the show goes on where he's like okay, he's uh he makes whatever you call it, uh spontaneous decisions that aren't always really good. Mm, but he does okay. take action at least. And at the end of the day, he does take responsibility for his choices. There's that moment where Eugene says, you know, the penalty for this is death. And uh, Franz accepts that. He he sees that as a truth and doesn't yep. cower or turn into a baby about it. Yeah. And I like that. I like when people take responsibility for their mistakes. I don't see Franz becoming a whiny baby like Lucian, you know? Not at all. Nope. Lucian, I do not want to hang out with him. I guess <laughs> no everyone way. Stuff, you know? That goes without saying. <laughs> um, let's see who else. I mean, I want to hang out with Cool Ike, you know, Code Ike. I don't want to hang out with like Undone Ike, you know, as he goes along and just. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> what did you and Miss Franklin talk about? I don't even know if he'd be a fun hang though, like when he was Coat Ike, because he just kind of kept to himself and he was kind of cold to Mara. You shouldn't be on this part of the shit. Get out of here. Yeah, and he was all about the rules. That's <laughs> yeah. not really fun. So nope. maybe I retract the whole thing. Maybe I should. Re- <laughs> I mean, he's I- handsome. He's handsome. Don't get me wrong. Um, I also would like to chat with Virginia. I feel like have a battle of the wills. I want to, um, you know, she was really intrigued when she knew Mara was maybe working on brains. So, yeah. um, Plus, you know, I've been Virginia in that scene when, like I'm telling you, that was a great scene when she's counting her money. I mean, not that I count my money all the time, but. (laughs) She smoke was knocking. <laughs> she, I don't smoke cigarettes either, but she was knocking <laughs> back some booze, right? Um, and re, you know, having she had a bath, she had her hair washed, she was relaxing after a a lucrative day. I I know I know the scene well. I remember well, <laughs> sure and I did. agree with you. I thought she seemed super cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I liked when she had her hair down. You yep. know, she looked she looked young and. Um, the, her dress is pretty, but you know she needs to to lose the attitude. But uh, you know, I bet when she's drinking after hours without the dress, she's much different. <laughs> She'd be the most fun person to be sitting at that table with her and Mara while she goes around and talks about everybody. I would love to have Virginia with me going out, and she could talk about everybody, and we could kind of you know you know, giggle at their misfortunes. And I think that'd be fun. But honestly, I I really don't believe that. I, I don't like mm-hmm. being snarky. Um, that's why I like Virginia, because it's something that I'm not, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mara, though, I really could see myself like hanging out and talking to Mara. I have a very good friend, Meg, who I've known like all my life. 
And she's like my deep conversation friend. And that's who Mara kind of reminds me of. And I think I've had some of these conversations with Meg and Mara's just, you know, a brilliant thinker. And when she's not at distress, like I'm thinking about the scene. I mean, not because they're in bed, but when she's with Daniel and they're relaxed and they're talking about Plato's cave, um, that's the Mara that I could see like just being cool just to like hang out with and have some coffee with and just talk about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Have pillow talk and get up, put on a hospital gown. I mean, it's like a scene no, no, from, no, no, no. from the home. Don't no, no. <laughs> You know, like they say with LSD, it's always set and setting. So in my set and setting, <laughs> me and Mara would be like at, you know, at I don't know, at a coffee shop. <laughs> we would mm -hmm. not be in bed together. Yeah. I mean, Mara seems like, you know, she obviously she's well read. And so I think yeah. we could we could talk about books and stuff. But at the same time, she sort of doesn't have I mean, you see, when you hear the Mara at the beginning and she's doing that, the brain is wider than the sky. She sounds so mysterious and and interesting to talk to. But then later on, when every time you see her and she's hanging out with her dad now, I mean, her dad probably brings out the worst in her, um, but she sort of lacks any imagination because she all she keeps saying is he found out what you were doing on the ships. Where's my brother? That's and true. She, she's almost has that um, laser focus of where she can't see outside of this box that she's had. And I right. mean, many of the characters did that, especially in the beginning. And, and Anthony and I talked about, and maybe you talked about the fact that sometimes the characters sounded like they were just reading lines from video games and yeah. that they, they were sort of, it was almost like a script and they were just reading weird lines, but she's only when she's in that distress position, she's sort of uh, seems to only, you know, she just has, like I said, this laser focused mind and she's not able to have a good conversation, but I want to talk to the, I want to talk to the Mara, from the episode one, when she was talking about the brain holds all the secrets to the universe. Let's talk yep. about that question. And that that would be good before things fell apart. Yep. That's the Mara I'm talking about as well. <laughs> <Okay>. Exactly. <laughs> the pre-freak out Mara. Pre-freak out Mara. I don't want to be scrambling in tunnels with Mara. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I would really, you know, I would have loved... Uh, you know, Nate, you're you're listening to this in post. Please tell us what characters you would want to hang out with, because we would have loved to hear your answers for, for this uh, question. I have a feeling I was actually going to ask him if he would go ahead and do that for us. But I know he's busy, so that that's the reason he's not here. So obviously he can't go and write out an essay for us. Mm -hmm. But I, I would like to hear that. Put it in the comments, Nate, when you subscribe and follow. <laughs> go ahead and put it in the comments. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about evolved characters, characters that we saw change for better or worse. Okay. You could call this the most, yeah, most evolved character. Is the, I don't have to say it any other way. <laughs> um, I have a couple for this. Um, the first Same. one would be Tove. Um, I okay. guess just as you, you grew increasingly more irritated with Crestor, I more just be began to admire Tove more and more after I saw what she'd been through with her family because she does absolutely just 
come across like the biggest bitch at the beginning. And you you think probably, oh, she's some kind of a homophobe. Like she's really grossed out by the fact that her brother doesn't like uh, that. Her brother likes men, um, which probably that was, I'm, you know, that was obviously part of society back then. Um, and maybe even still today, who knows that, that we still have homophobes out there, but um, you know, she, basically had to rescue herself in that situation Mm -hmm. her family you know her brother did not take responsibility in in a normal situation if this man the employer was um, now no one wanted to see crester get shot or anything but the the guy was obviously just taking advantage of this situation to say oh well since you did this to my son I am now going to rape your sister. And so it's Tove essentially paying for Crester's crimes. Right. And the family either could not or would not stop this from happening. And as it's happening, they're even all averting their eyes as if Tove, you're on your own. You know, we're, we're just gonna sit here while this is happening and pretend it's not happening. That's part of their, sickness they have like whatever you call it the push it under the rug kind of syndrome in the family where it's like this elephant under the carpet um (laughs) elephant yeah yeah and so you know you want your family especially as a as a girl you want your dad to be your hero and here that didn't happen i mean tobe had to rescue herself and then now she's watching crester have dalliance with another man and and so um does that mean she should have been you know that she should have acted that way with her brother not necessarily but at the same time um i just grew in empathy towards tove and being with her parents her parents who kept telling her this you have god's child you have the light inside of you and probably Tobe wanted to say, no, I have my rapist baby, you know, and that's what I'm carrying around. Yeah. Um, so she's a character I just grew to respect more and more and wanted, almost wanted to protect, you know, I wanted to protect Tove from um, having to deal with any more trauma or uh, messed up people in the future. Poor lady was only left with Franz though at the end, but um, and then she even lost but hey, him. But yeah, but I mean, she got your catch, man. So that's a pretty big catch. <laughs> but I mean, she um, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm thinking that she's a much more complex character than I've given her credit for, because she kind of goes back and forth between being like a um, you know, stern and kind of like no no holds barred, and then she's you know, protective and um, caring. And then she goes back and forth a lot. Um, She's vulnerable. I mean, there's that scene where she's crying and Clemens is having to comfort her. You know, Clemens has no idea what's going on, but, you know, shout out to Clemens. She's like um, how Ramiro was, you know, she just saw a person in distress and decided to comfort them, even if they can't understand each other. Yeah. So I wouldn't think about um, her as like my most evolved character or Crestor. And I will say this because you reminded me I'm going to. That's another reason I don't like Crestor is that 
he had a dalliance with this guy's son, you know, whether that is what it is. And he did not ask for the outcome for, you know, his sister to get traumatized like that. But at the same time, it's like he's saying all the wrong things to her. He's acting all the wrong ways to her. And on top of that, he's like having a dalliance with another man on repeated occasions. And when he's supposed to be looking for Ada, he's up there with Angel. And that makes Crestor look terrible. I mean, in relation to what is going on with his family and his sister, that's the last thing he should be doing is thinking about, you know, cigarettes and Angel. Um, but we're talking about evolved characters. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring it back around to somebody that I wanted to shout out when you were talking about Ramiro. Because when we were talking about our least favorite characters, if you asked me after episode one and two, I would probably say Ramiro was my least favorite character. And like when I go back and listen to me and Nate um, talking about Ramiro, like we just despise Ramiro. And we're like, you know, and I. I what came, did you despise about him at the beginning? Just exactly like what you said. He just seemed like he was harboring some sort of resentment against Angel. And just he was a, a stiff you know, at the first episode, you know, you're you're led to believe he's a priest and he just seems like he's so unfun and stiff and um, up his own butt. <laughs> and I don't know, he just he came, really came around, especially with Ike when they got locked up together and he's swinging those hammers around and he's mm -hmm. running around and he's trying to get plans together and he's you know, helping Tove. I mean, he really came around as like a top guy and I would not have expected that in the first couple of episodes that I would like Ramiro as much as I did. And, um, yeah, I think that's my, my most notable character change, um, is Ramiro. How about you? Who did you think? Yeah. I mean, Besides Tove, I just, I think there are a lot of characters evolved. I mean, we have, we talked about Ike already, how he went from like smooth operator to um, an anxious mess. <laughs> um, but, uh, and a lot of the evolutions that happen actually are from like good to worse. <laughs> but like, on, <laughs> I mean, on hell is, you know, he's a perfect example, honestly, where he's, um, he seems like really fun and rowdy and sort of the life of the party. And then he just becomes more and more confused and mentally unstable as the, as the show goes along. He's not used to, he's used to because of his money and his position. Yeah. He's always the person that's sort of in control and able to control things. And I feel like that moment when he's not in control, yeah. when Ivan comes in and, you know, he gets to experience what it's like to be the person that is mistreated. He's mm -hmm. mistreated by people in third class um, and he gets spat upon by Crestor. He was thinking, oh, I have a good relationship with this guy, even though it's just a sexual dalliance. He's like, oh, I'm in. Here's Crestor. He's going to like tell them to leave me alone, um, sort of hiding behind his money. And once he realizes he can't do that and then Ramiro leaves him, 
um, for a, for a time, he sort of mm-hmm. abandons him and says, "I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to go tell tell the captain." Angel gets abandoned, and he has to see what it's like to really be by himself when he's used to always having control. Mm-hmm. And so we saw how quickly he became just weak, a weak person who, um, you know, without his money, without his white uh, superman superhero costume. <laughs> he has nothing and he can't even shovel coal correctly really i mean he's never worked a day in his life those but, powdery hands these like soft putty putty feeling hands you're right but he did it though he did it he that's how he died was working as third class mm-hmm. um shoveling coal like the underlings um and he was doing it uh it was only him and ramiro at the very end And they kind of shrugged their shoulders and kept on going. So I think that says something about Angel right there. Mm -hmm. That he evolved right alongside Ramiro. Um, And his dying words, like, you know, sweet, sweet guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah, I don't have anybody else really characters evolved because, yeah, mine was Ike, Angel, and Ramiro. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so our next category we, we thought of was most notable death. Oh man, I think I this to... is this is a gimme, right? Oh well, go ahead then. Olick, that was like the one that like I think like grabbed me the most. I, I guess there's two. Mm-hmm. Olick, just because of the 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 character and how he died, the water protecting Ling, etc. But the other notable death was the same guy that I despise, Crester. Because he's like the key, like we see Crester become one of those sheep mm-hmm. and jump over the side of the ship. That's right. a pretty like aha wow moment. Like, oh my God, one of the main people did it. Um, not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think that was pretty notable too. Well, before I share mine, I did want to, one thing I noticed that was kind of funny is that when it came time to the sheep to fall off of the ship, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that some people uh, just fell over. Some of them stood on the bar yeah. and some of them carefully climbed. Over. I know. I noticed that too. <laughs> it was, I was like, wait a second. There's sort of a different, obviously these, <laughs> these sheep have different physical abilities. Some of them have much better balance than the rest of them. I would be one of the ones climbing over the <laughs> rung, one one rung at a time, one leg at a time, um, as I cling on before I fall off. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, this calorie was actually tough for me, but I wanted to save talking about it until we got on the podcast to to mention that because we called this the most notable death. And during the show, there were several characters that you were struck by because of their death. But then once you figure out they're not really dead, they're just put out of commission, <laughs> it sort of right. makes the deaths less impactful. Sure. Um, so I, I do think that's interesting. But when when Ada, we didn't know what happened to Ada. Right. And Good so call. when that happened, you're really immediately putting Daniel in your like world's <laughs> most wanted list, you know, like why did you take <laughs> kill this little girl and what did you do to her exactly? We didn't 
<laughs> see it. Um, so that was pretty, really got your attention. And yes. plus that scene was so well done with the music, the creepy music. I think it's the initiating shutdown music. And um, we've Sweet got- child of time. <laughs> of course, there was that song going on too. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but that really got my attention. I also felt really shocked about the boys thing until he just popped out of a cabin. So a cabinet. Oh. So that um yeah, that sort yeah. of lost its sort of lost its uh power. Lost the impact. Lost but yet yeah, that's the death that I think now that you mention it, that's the one that like I kind of like was uh most like appalled and like just mm -hmm. flabbergasted by because I, I remember like the first time I've seen that. And every time I've seen it since then, I kind of have like a deja vu of that, like feeling in my stomach of like how far you have to fall in like just the depths of the ocean. Um, yeah, that was a big impact. You're right about that one. Mm -hmm. But then he's all great. He comes out, he just respawns like the yeah. dead kitty is. And with Olek, I was upset, but then later, maybe it's because I turned into a Henry, but I mean, <laughs> you are sort of watching this thing happen and you're like, why are you making these dumb decisions? Like Ling goes Correct. out of the deck and then Oleg's like, oh, Ling, yeah. and he goes after her. And, and it's like, what if you just stayed at the steering wheel and Ling, because as soon as she went out there and she saw that her mom disappeared. She probably yeah. would have come back in. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of, you know, we we don't we haven't seen yet how the death works, right? You know, right. like with Olek, he he's obviously still on the ship at the end, so we see that. But what is his state? You know, is he um still a living living breathing soul, or is he like a vegetable or somebody they've preserved? <laughs> to be revived if they can find a new brain for him or something. <laughs> um, uh, but that, you know, of course we, we had gotten, I mean, was Oleg the last person that died? Like the last character who died, Angel, quote unquote. Angel came after that. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember in what order, what order they happened, but you know, he was the one we all really, Oleg was one of the ones we all really liked. And so, um, and that's another reason that I have Ling on my, that's why she dropped down so low is like a lot of these poor decisions that she made. And that was a big one running yeah. out there on the deck to see her, her dead mom, who she saw run, jump over the side of the ship. Mm -hmm. These people and their silly emotions. I know that gets them every time. <laughs> if only they could learn to control their emotions. Mm. I mean, Franz's death was tragic to me you know now, especially now that i wanted to have the beer with him um <laughs> but he would died a very brave and noble death and um so yeah i thought that that wasn't something i expected to see or them to do with so much emotion because he has been so he's semi on the border of a side being a side character right i mean right he, we have to give him a lead character role because he did have a poster uh but <laughs> yeah he's, right. the, he's not on the pod um you know he's not in one of the pods at the end but he's on that border of almost being a side character but the way they filmed it was just so uh you know, seeing him with his eyes open, just floating in the water. Yeah. Um, and after he told Tove to go on without him, it was a very, you know, it was an impactful death there. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, I know now your connection to Franz, but at the same time, I think his death was kind of um, almost sidelined. Um, and I feel bad for that for him because like his death came at the exact same time as Anchor and Ibens. So they all kind of died at the same time. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of like the day that Michael Jackson died. Farrah Fawcett also died, but nobody remembers that. They just remember Michael Jackson dying. But don't mm-hmm. sideline these side characters. You got to honor all of them. <laughs> so they they should have like had maybe had separate scenes for them, but mm-hmm. they kind of mash their scene in together. Hmm. I know I saw them. That's interesting because that you're right, but yet Franz is the one that got my attention. But I guess that's because the whole and that and that's how you probably feel about Ling. But with Anker and Iben, I was like, <clears throat> this death is so pointless. But you guys chose it yourself. So right. it's hard to be it's hard to feel sorry for somebody who cho- chose it to just sit there um, and not run. Uh, even if you like think, OK, we get it. You're just going to give up there. That's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's had a hero. That's true. You know, he did mm-hmm. something to help keep the water out from everybody else so yeah yeah honor you honor you bronze <laughs> okay so memorable moments from the show overall like what are the moments you really right. remember loving yeah I, this is my last page and i got a lot of them <laughs> for me i guess um the th- first thing i wrote down which i guess is telling is the discovery of the the dream portals. I think that was like episode three or four is like the first time that we see a character actually go through the portal, come out the other side. And then you see like the tunnel behind them just hanging out in midair there. Um, That was a fantastic moment for me personally. I talked about this in my podcast, how um, impactful like the movie time bandits was to me as a kid in those portals that they went through um, repeatedly in time bandits and the time portals and not the time portals, but the, um, the gateways they use in the wheel of time series are similar. And that's just a fascinating concept to me. And I dream about it. And I, as a little kid, I would stare into mirrors, like thinking that was a portal taking me to some other world. I think that's because of the movie phantasm that I saw at a very young age. Um, but that moment for me, um, was like my, like blow the mind, love it moment. And that came after the TV sets, the TV sets might've been like the first, like, you know, wow moment. Um, so yeah, I brought it around to two moments. So (laughs) I'll let you either, uh, take it from there or add another moment. I think for me, probably the moment I remember most is when Mara discovers the portal for the first time. I love that Mm -hmm. scene. She goes down the ladder and follows the boy. And that's when he has the beetle, puts it on the ground, the beetle, um, you know, actually no, Elliot's already used the beetle to go through. She climbs she crawls through and there's this creepy music, the reflection of her body against the black glass. And it oh, creates this. Ha, 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 ha. That's what the music was doing. Oh. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I don't remember what the cue was, but I'll, I'll trust you with that. But there was almost the, there was like 
a Mora on the left, the real Mora, and then a Mora on the right. So it oh, created this really yeah. cool visual effect. And she's sort of sliding through in a, she's almost sliding side saddle. Like she's not crawling. <laughs> uh, but I just, I love that scene because, and that's the first time we go through the portals as well. So we're discovering it along with her. Um, so that moment was visually and audibly i guess a just stunning moment and that is part of episode five the calling which is your favorite episode i believe yes yes yeah i think we're talking about the exact same moment except for me it was when she actually came out and you saw like the the image behind her in the in the sky but yeah we we like it from different perspectives which is appropriate mm -hmm. through the different windows one side of the window or the other <laughs> Uh, another one of my the top moments, my favorite moments, is also one of Anthony's favorite moments when Elliot speaks for the first time. Everybody rejoices. Everybody like changes their opinion about Elliot, and that was a big moment um, for everybody. Did you change your opinion of Elliot in that moment? I did. Um, I, me and Nate always made fun of how creepy he was. We called him Zombie <laughs> Boy, but as soon as he started talking, he had a little cute British voice. I immediately like. You know, he enamored me immediately. <laughs> so I didn't call him zombie boy after that moment. From that moment on, but what did you call him after that before you knew Elliot. he was Elliot? Oh, we didn't um, know he was Elliot yet. Oh, I, th I guess I, I guess I honored the name the, zombie boy. You probably kept going with zombie boy, I'm sure. I probably did. But I mean, <laughs> I liked him a lot more once he started talking and, you know, making things happen and guiding the beetle around. And mm -hmm. Yeah. They had to set they had to set him up as being an ambiguous character at the beginning. You didn't yeah. know what was going on, so that he became more expressive as time went on. When he speaks is definitely a big part, but you know, before then he's making the you know, he has the creepy shadows under his eyes. But yeah, <laughs> Anthony was so anti anti Elliot, anti the boy. Like that was he was so upset about that. So was Nate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think my other big standout moment would just be when they go through the whirlpool again. I like a good oh, yeah. visual. Obviously, I like a good visual sequence and seeing them go through that whirlpool and come out on the other side with Ling Yi on the on the deck of the ship was just a beautifully filmed scene. Anyway, you slice it. Um and it, it it did strike me that at the beginning of the show, the very first scene when she's doing the poem, we go through a whirlpool. Yep. Um, and I'm sure you noticed that too. But it's like, yep. oh wow, they gave that gave that, but we had no idea what that what that was <laughs> talking about. So that was a really cool moment. I didn't write that down as one of my favorites, but it must be because. Like at, at work in my office, I have like, you know, the two big, you know, dual screen computers. And that's my screensaver is that image of Ling Yi, one of my least favorite characters, but it's one of my favorite moments um, going through that whirlpool and you see in that light up there. I love that image. And I chose that one to be what I stare at all day. Mm -hmm. um, I do have one more. So go ahead with your next one. Um, well, I'm going to blast past one because Ada's death, we've already talked about it, but I think that was a very key moment. It was an episode ender. Um, Ike meeting Mara, episode one, they put so much weight into that scene. 
that, you know, it was bound to mean something and watching it again, having Ike's face like become clear out of the fog and, uh, it, you know, just means so much. And I think that was a strong moment for anybody who was going to be into the show. If you got to that scene and it didn't do anything for you, then the show's not for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, my next one was actually the the Ada, but it wasn't just Ada. It was the whole thing leading up to that with the initiating shutdown music. You have uh, Angel and Ramiro. That's when they get down <laughs> together. And um, then you also have Ada walking through and following the beetle. Right. It's very intriguing. I believe the sun is setting right then. And Daniel just appears like this looming figure over her. And we're like, Frodo Baggins, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And the beetle, when the, when uh, she sees the beetle, it's on the carpet as well. So I don't know. It's just a very well filmed sequence from start to finish. Yeah. Right on. Um, Elliot being resurrected in the cabinet was a huge moment. Um, not expecting that. His death was a huge moment and the resurrection was a huge moment. So I think that's pretty telling. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last one I have written down out of all these is um, Daniel and Elliot's first moment meeting as um, not as father and son, but when we see them that I thought it was a, a pretty big moment that, made a bunch of questions pop through my head because we weren't, we didn't know their relationship and we saw them catch eyes a couple times, but then when they're actually exchanging dialogue in like by the grave mm. that first time, um, just, it just created so many questions and they just seemed like a natural pair. Like they belong together. And I like Elliot now, <laughs> ever since he started talking, I like him. <laughs> And he was talking a lot in that scene. So, of course, I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where he gains even more expression. And then the next the next scene is when Daniel begins actually talking to him like a father would instead of an associate or colleague. Right. Yep. <laughs> or servant. Maybe that's how he would address servant. Did you find it? Uh, where is it? He's just. Like scary Daniel versus fatherly Daniel. It's a pretty extreme, you know, change that happens. Well, I had two moments that um I should bring up that aren't like big top moments, but they made me laugh every time. I'm not alone in this. Um I'm not alone in this one. That line from Angel when he says, uh, to go have a little chat with God, ask him why he made you a sheep. That's when, like, I was like, Angel, you are <laughs> devious and you are bad and I like you. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. was, I just thought that line was great. And then when Ike um, busts in the room in episode three or four and he grabs poor little Elliot and he shoves him against the wall and starts screaming at him, that cracked me up so much because it was just such an inappropriate scene and not what you're expecting. The captain of the ship, the cool dude to, like, assault a little boy. <laughs> And it was just done in such a funny way that it always made me laugh. It's supposed to appall you, but it was funny to me. I thought you were going to say, when you said, uh, when I pops out, I thought you were going to talk about that scene when he opens the grate and sticks his head. <laughs> That's another great moment. Because you comedy. liked that moment so much. <laughs> I did. 
<laughs> it was a Looney Tunes moment. <laughs> you needed like a sound effect, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so that is. Do you have any more amazing moments you want to share with the uh, the the viewers, the listeners? The starting of the ticking noise. That like freaked everybody out. Yeah. The ticking noise was wild. That came right after the sirens, but um, it was ominous and it was more dreadful than the sirens, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the different noises. I mean, an air siren noise is always, always frightening. It just reminds you of, um, you know, what, World War Two and mm-hmm. Everybody duck, duck and cover. Yeah, under your desk, kids, <laughs> where it's safe. Um, so we're now going to shift and talk about moments that bugged us, or you're calling it, uh, you lost me moments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that we're in agreement that the uh, the Matrix time stopping <laughs> bullet moment was just disjointed and not explored, not explained. It wasn't Elliot that did that. Elliot doesn't have to do that crap. It wasn't the pyramid. That whole like scene just completely lost me and it never came back around. And I know that it would have explored that in season two or three. I don't think they would have left us hanging like that, but that was a definite um, weirdo moment. That, that was also the moment that led us to the movie tenant as well so we could be grateful that mo- that moment was in the show but yeah. still it made me scratch my head and look around weird it it was the most i would you it's the most most special effecty moment in the show and it does seem that like it comes out of nowhere and it really you never don't see anything like that the rest of the show yeah. um so that makes it seem even more odd the only thing that really bothered me about that, which we kind of talked in our in our DMs already, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway, is the fact that she plucks that bullet out of midair and doesn't burn her fingers off because, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the thing I, the thing I wanted to show you, which I sent you that one scene from Tenant, mm-hmm. obviously, and you know, the woman is handling that those bullets with those neoprene gloves <laughs> or whatever those gloves are made of in right. uh, in tenant because you're dealing with bullets and the the if even if the bullet was frozen in midair, it still had energy, it would have been hot. And uh so that that one part bugged me, especially knowing how much care and attentiveness Bo and Yanta put into the time travel science yeah. and physics in dark um that 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 moment seemed a little sloppy when yes. it was when it was put together but it was still an intriguing moment so it didn't it didn't bother me i i wanted to talk about it and i wanted to talk about it in the context of tenant and how they handled those things differently yeah. um if you haven't seen tenant you may not know what we're talking about. What we may be doing a podcast or something about Tenet later on because I asked Steve to watch that movie to to uh, understand why this scene bothered me so much. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, in the case but, of Tenet, it's simple. They're inverted bullets. Simple, yeah. simple, simple explanation. What's mm-hmm. the explanation? Eighteen ninety nine. They don't have one. So I'm sorry. Tenet wins. 
<laughs> so how about you? Did you have any moments like that that really stuck up for you? I mean, it just, it more bothered me that it wasn't really that I expected to be lost because this, that's what these showrunners do. But, you know, it, it did bother me when we would have like these television screens and then we wouldn't see the television screens again for three episodes. Oh, <laughs> so that okay. would sort of bother me because in a, in a normal show, like let's say lost okay I, i'm not that i don't want to say normal and be like okay whether she's saying if that's whether good or bad but okay. for instance in lost when we see the hatch at the end of that season the next episode goes into the hatch and, and explains <laughs> like what the hatch is right and so having the tv episode having the tv screen show up and then just completely acting like that never happened at the beginning of the next episode seemed a little like not cool <laughs> don't leave us hanging like that we, <laughs> we gotta give us some, at least start the episode with the tv screens even if you're not ready to show us where we are um from, you know do us the mm -hmm. honor of of like not insulting our intellect that you put a different setting into our show and then now you're acting like it didn't happen. I guess so. I saw it differently. Um, I kind of saw it as it wasn't resolved the next episode, but it did make me look at the next episode differently with this new suspicion in my mind that it was a simulation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the intention was. And they didn't want to just, you know, blast it over your head i guess even though it, it would have been nice to have a, a a nice resolution that way i mean that is what you're supposed to do when you end with a cliffhanger you're supposed to start the next episode where the cliffhanger left off and <laughs> you're you're <laughs> absolutely right i can't act i honor your your opinion there um it just didn't bother me at all because it um it changed my way of thinking of looking at things and so it, it was mission accomplished for me. It made me start thinking about simulation. I think that next episode is when me and Nate started talking the simulation talk um, mm -hmm. because of those TV sets. And then we were like, you know, everybody, not just us, um, was talking about the tube screens and like how they were 60s, 70s TVs and how interesting that was. Um, yeah, if they wanted that. to prolong the mystery a little longer about what was going on, they could have thrown in the TV screens a little bit later. Yes, um and true. not throwing it in at the end of episode two and then you know then gone on to something else and there was like a brand new cliffhanger the next episode they had the ship disappear yeah, um so it was it was a little like stopping and starting kind of like getting a little momentum and you're like oh that's cool and then uh, now we're back <laughs> and <laughs> pretending like nothing else is going on um so that it was, you know, I think that's part of that's part of television, though, um, which is why. And we're the opposite about this. I watch more movies. I don't often do TV shows because those kinds of things can frustrate me, especially when you're extending it. Now, this is only eight episodes, but there are other shows that have, let's say, right now I'm wa watching the last season of Walking Dead that has like. I think it has like 20, 20 some episodes in it. It's like if they had done pulled that 
crap on that show, I'd be really ticked <laughs> off. <laughs> I had to wait like 20 episodes to find out what's going on with those TV screens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the TV reveal under the same moments, too, except for I wasn't thinking like you lost me. I was thinking more of like that was a wow kind of like, holy cow. Mo- I kind of put it in the same category. Um, but I do have two character decisions, not necessarily show decisions, but I guess they are because the characters involved the shows, one of which we've already discussed, which is when um, Ike makes a decision not to tell the family about Ada. Mm. That was a really weird call on Ike's part, and it didn't make any sense. Um, So that kind of left me weird. Like, why would that character choose to do that? That doesn't seem to gain anybody, doesn't gain him anything at all. Mm. And then the moment when... Jerome and our 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 lady Clements pick up Lucian to take him to the medicine. That's the most ridiculous choice I've ever seen, maybe in any TV show ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that later too, but I think part of my thinking was if they were afraid that if one or both of them left. They would have to go there and come back and, you know, yeah. but yeah, lugging someone up and down those steps, it, it really didn't make sense. Um, you're right about that. Um, with, with Ike and the, and the family not telling them, I think part uh-huh. of that was they needed, they needed to set up a conflict between him and Franz where Franz was going to go against the captain's orders. Sure. And so this was our way to see like, okay, he's now operating under his own authority okay. and that was a cue that 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 was happening i'll give um, it a pass then good call yeah but, but maybe you can't, ex- you can't excuse jerome and clements though i don't think you can excuse them <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty wild um all you know you could also put the category there of franz being like hey oleg go up and steer the ship right yeah <laughs> That's another bad call. And there was no call for that one either. That that was another um, Jerome. They were all panicking at that moment, I guess. Like nobody knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all you got? Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I did write down here. I guess I'll say it since you're asking. Um, <laughs> I uh, wrote down, don't fear the Reaper. Because I did not like that song choice for that moment in episode four thought that was a, a corny choice um so that one kind of made me sour like when that moment happened i was really happy i was really psyched and then i thought of like about 20 better songs they could have put in that moment um heather and myself have been watching a show called in the dark on netflix and it's a pretty good show but they have the corniest choices for music in this show and it really takes you out of moments when they just choose Songs like Don't Fear the Reaper that you've heard a thousand times in your life and have been used in a thousand movies. And it's like, okay, it's getting used again for the exact same purpose. I see. They're talking about death. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so that was just a personal moment that I uh, that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the, some of the ending songs were... Seven of um, eight were great. <laughs> Uh, well, I was saying some of the ending songs have been overplayed. Um, not all of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, in the first the first episode, you had um, White Rabbit 
but at least in the theme song, it was an alternative right. version of that. Um, and then we had Watchtower, but we were expecting that because we saw Watchtower during the um, this the teaser. So mm -hmm. I was expecting Watchtower, so I gave that one a pass. <laughs> all the other all the other songs they chose were fantastic episode enders, and I can't be more happy with the choices they made. Other than "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Blue Oyster Cult. Well, you heard it here, folks. So. Um, we, when we get the redub or the uh, director's cut of the show, switch out that song for something else, will you? Yeah. Such as In the Light by Led Zeppelin. Um, maybe uh, <laughs> one of the crescendo <laughs> moments of um, A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to give you an opportunity to, to fill it in right now. Since I think we're on the in, topic. The, in, the, in the Light by Led Zeppelin is my top choice for that moment. Excellent. Drop it in the show right there. There you go. Yeah. You got editing skills, right? <laughs> um, my next topic had been notable musical cues, but you know what? I've already talked about all those already in this episode. So yep. did you want to say anything else about the music? No, no. I mean, yeah, we've touched upon all of it. Yeah. Even the, the sound cues, the way they recorded it, all the ending songs. Mm -hmm. Killer. I mean, that's what really attracted me first off to Darkway's productions, period, is watching Dark, their intro song and all the song choices within. Um, that's what really won me over with that show was the music and the tone and the cinematography, like the, pa the color palettes. So that got me on board with 1899 before it even <laughs> before I even seen the first episode, I was already on board with it. It is interesting that you know, Ben Frost had collaborated with people all over the world, musicians all over the world, just like with the languages. We have languages from all over the world. We also had music and, you know, same with Ludwig Gornson, who did the music for like the Black Panther. He did the music for Tenant also, but the music for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, he collaborated with musicians from all over the world to make that soundtrack since it was an indigenous culture in mm -hmm. South America, for instance, he would go there and learn some of the instruments and the ways that they would make music there to make that soundtrack. And so I appreciated that, that he had, and a lot of the music has like Spanish undertones or, you know, the Dutch music, like the music about, I'm sorry, Danish. Um, it has the song, that goes with their that cultural thing about needing the window to be left open mm -hmm. so that the soul can leave. And so he, you know, he put those touches in, in that it sort of captures all the cultures that we are learning about or visiting through the characters in the show. So shout out for the soundtrack. We love it. Yeah, it's great. Any of the Black Panther, I did not care for those movies at all. But those soundtracks I listen to all the time. Those are fantastic soundtracks. I'm glad you brought that up, especially to the first Black Panther movie. That's, I mean, I listen to that soundtrack constantly and mm -hmm. do not care one lick for Black Panther <laughs> or any of his Marvel buddies. <laughs> yeah. He's a, I love that uh, composer. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I heard that um, our boy, uh, the composer, Hans. Help me out here. 
He usually does Christopher Nolan's movies. Tom Zimmer? Yeah. He was supposed to do the music for Tenet, I understand, but he didn't do it. Um, yeah, he was busy he was doing, doing the music Dune. for James, the James Bond movie. So Okay, I thought he was doing Dune at that time. But yeah. I, I Dune as well. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's exactly Dune. So he was, that's how they found Ludwig, who, you know, Ludwig did the soundtrack for The Mandalorian and got um fame for that so then i i feel like he's he was a great choice and i i'm just thrilled to bits that he's continuing to do that i mean hans zimmer is great um but i also want you know we need to make room for new people as well so i absolutely agreed yeah right on as you'd say <laughs> so steve we've come to the end of our trip yeah but it's not the end of our journey no it's only the beginning right <laughs> i think this is like is this the first full podcast that you and i have done together i think it yes, is right but just the two of us yeah we did not a short the last. we did not a the... short uh yeah 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 i imposed a short uh like 15 minute pod on you and you imposed a three hour 1899 podcast on me in return and you're not seeing the last of steve and Lindsay. that's right we're gonna dive into the dark ways aren't we yes so steve and introvoid is what we mm. also call him he is finishing up his wheel of time rewatch with james the marshland monster and once they finish that Steve and I are going to embark upon a journey through dark. And this is very exciting because I love dark and I have done recaps of these, but I almost felt like I missed the boat on dark, not to be too punny, but I really felt like okay there's already so many great dark podcasts yep and i you know you missed your chance to do that one <laughs> but i think for both of us watching how people reacted to 1899 and many people who were had not watched dark but had started with 1899 are now going to dark or people who already watched Dark are going back to Dark to watch That's it again. Right. And if this show just doesn't seem to quit, people are always still discovering it to this day. I will get comments on those recaps saying, I just started watching. Thank you so much for doing these recaps. And so it, uh, you know, you asked me to do this recap uh, you know to recap dark and so i agreed but steve why don't you say to our viewers mm -hmm. why is it you wanted to visit dark again oh uh, yeah for the exact same reason i wanted to do the the wheel of time podcast um because i enjoyed that show and i wanted to uh watch it with a more uh you know, more, I'm running out of words, Lindsay. We used, we used all of all, all of our words and I don't have any left. More detail. 
More attention yeah, to detail? I, more attention to detail. I wanted to, and another thing was, is there was no wheel, there's very few Wheel of Time recap podcasts out there. So I wanted to make that available. And at the same time, I wanted to keep myself in the world. It was a self-serving thing I was doing. Um, I wanted to show the show to James, but at the same time, I wanted to understand it better myself. And I wanted to look for clues that might come up in season two. I wanted to look for book Easter eggs and no better way to do that than to like, you know, watch it, take notes and do it with somebody else who also has a keen eye that can pick up things that you might miss. So the show 1899 came around. I wanted to do that. I really wanted to watch the show. I was really into it and I recognize it as a puzzle box show. So again, I wanted to do this for myself. So I would be in tune and I would watch it and pay attention and be able to offer, you know, a recap for people who are like me that drive around all day and like to listen to recaps of shows they watch. Dark also is probably more than any of them, the most self-serving podcast that I want to do because I watched all of Dark. Um, I binged it, which is something I don't normally do. I watched like one to two episodes like every night. And, you know, I finished the whole series like within like a two week period. And I would do the thing where like I would start an episode and then I would fall asleep. And then I would not quite know what I missed. And then I just watched the next episode. And like, there was stuff that I missed. There was things that went over my head. And when we got towards the end, um, I saw the end. I know how it ends. It, everything is spoiled. But I don't really quite understand all the connections. I didn't quite understand who was who, who was connected to who, and how these things went. I figured the best way to do it is to recap it. And to do it myself and to take my notes and to watch it twice. And I knew that you had done the recaps too. So it just seemed like an obvious move to, to get back into that world, especially now that that, that door has been opened again, thanks to 1899. Um, if it wasn't for 1899, I probably would not be doing the dark podcast. So like, it's kind of like a, an A to B to C situation. Um, mm -hmm. Everything's so connected. Go. Everything's, Everything's connected, connected is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a big uh that's a big line from the dark fandom. So you probably mm -hmm. already know that, but everybody says everything is connected. Yep. Um so yes, thank you for pouring all that out. I totally agree. Um it's going to be a exhausting but rewarding journey. I say exhausting just because I feel like this show does take dark does take a lot of energy and attention to be able to really savor it. And if right. this is going to be my recap podcast show, we will definitely be savoring it. So yes. we'll, I'm thinking we'll probably do a similar format that you did where we're watching, recapping one episode a week so we can take our time with it. And I already have written recaps. I will post a link for that in the show notes so you can um, know where to find those. But we'll also be you know, when I make my posts on my website, I will also be sharing those each week. So you can have the recap and the video and the sound file together in one post, the same as I did 1899. So whatever format, your preferred format for recapping this, you'll be able to do all of this at once. But this show definitely rewards you with rewatches by doing that. And it also... 
I would say you keep finding new things each time. And each time you watch the show, you're watching it during a different phase of your life. And so things are probably going to hit you differently as well. True. So that is what's coming up for, for the future of the sweet child of time. And the one of my stories collaboration. I think we have it scheduled to start at the end of March. So yeah, I was looking, um, I was looking at my, yeah, I was looking at my calendar. It looks like March twentieth is when we're supposed to record. Uh, is when we're supposed to get together and record the first episode. So I'll release wow. it the same okay. week personally. <laughs> um, but if we got to push that back, we got to push it back. There's no guns involved. Yeah, I'm, I'm not Tove running at you with a gun. Um, okay, that's, just that's a, good that's to just know. A date on a calendar written in pencil is all that is. <laughs> I would like to get uh, my 1899 recaps published before I move on to dark. Um, dark is already done, but still, um, once I go to dark, I'm not going to want to go back to 1899. So, um, right. but it's coming soon is what you need to know, dear viewers. It's coming Correct. soon. And you'll be able to follow that at both of our channels. So um, is there anything else we want to say before we do our shout outs and talk about where people can find us? Nope. I'm nope. ready for that time, man. <laughs> you're ready for uh, after we've gone almost three and a half hours, you're ready to wrap this up. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> We're going to release this as a two parter or like, go ahead and just release the whole thing. We'll figure it'll, it out. It'll, yeah. All right. So. Steve, thank you so much for your time and attention. Why don't you tell people how they can find you and all of your great material? Thank you for saying that. Um, I guess Instagram is a great place to find me because I post my links um, in my profile description. Uh, I have an intro.void. That's my main podcast, podcast feed. That's my main Instagram account. I do have a, a link tree and maybe Lindsay will put that Linktree link in her notes. She's nodding her head yes. Because the Linktree, of course, has every single link. Basically, I do Sweet Child of Time every week. I'm starting to do a podcast called This Week in Animals, where I interview people about pets and animals. Um, you'll, you'll find that right there on the Linktree and right on my Instagram. I've got a Sweet Child of Time pod um, Instagram as well. But really, that intro void one is your one-stop shop for Steve Barnes. Mm-hmm. That's the best place. You're also on Twitter. Um, well, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. I'm on all that stuff. But really, the Instagram is is where I seem to get people talking to me most and get the most interaction. Um, mm -hmm. So I would encourage people to do that. Or yeah, you heard it. How about you, Lindsay? <laughs> well, I'm at one of my stories, of course, the number one of my stories on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, SoundCloud, YouTube, and probably something else I'm forgetting. But or you can get on my website at one of my stories dot com. That's the number one of my stories dot com. And with that, we're going to say adieu to you dear viewers if you've hung in for this almost three and a half hour recording kudos to you but even if you tapped out after 20 minutes we still appreciate you that's right <laughs> leave a comment leave a follow leave a view leave a kiss yeah <laughs> 
but um, we're gonna say good night now. Steve always likes to say on his show that I hope you always find water and shade. So I don't want him to feel like uh, we didn't get to say that to each other. So okay. I hope you find water and shade, Steve. I hope you found water and shade. Right behind you, there's lots of water and there's lots of clouds <laughs> for lots of shade cover. I think you're covered, Lindsay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. This is Lindsay, one of my stories, signing off. Peace. Bye-bye.